Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, this show was hosted by Jar Jar Binks, and he was better than this guy. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. I am your host, Brian Levine. It is springtime and the flowers are in bloom and the windows open here in the studio in Concord, North Carolina. So if you hear some odd noise every once in a while, well, that's just the neighborhood. But I couldn't resist the chance to have that window open and have the air blowing around while I'm smoking my pipe. Oh, love springtime. All right, on tonight's show, hey, in pipe parts, we're going to dig into barling grades. Grades of barling pipes. (laughs) Not barking pipes like I typed in a text message to Kevin earlier today. Um, Autocorrect. Uh, anyway, and uh, my guest tonight is a uh, living legend, pipe maker Tawny Nielsen. So we'll have Tawny on the phone. I uh, got mailbag, music, rant, all that coming up, plus a uh, special message in the uh, mailbag, so you all want to listen for that. All that coming up in tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And boy, my happy spring is here. Uh, ready to sit outside on the front porch again and relax in the evenings and smoke outdoors. So just kind of wondering, uh, you know, as as the weather starts to break here in the northern hemisphere, yeah, we're going to start changing our smoking habits a little bit. We're going to change what we uh, where we normally smoke. Uh, now that winter time is over, do we all look forward to getting outside and smoking a little bit? Do we change? You know, how do you change what you like to smoke, where you like to smoke it, and uh, so on and so on. I mean, I know the front porch for me is my favorite spot, and now I can uh, start wearing some shorts while sitting out there instead of having to be bundled up. All right, let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax. Thank you all for tuning in. Fire up your bowl. Thank you to the McBaron Tobacco Company, and here we go. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990, Cornell & Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco, expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special Red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes Autumn Evening so well loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. Welcome back. Hey, you know what? Kind of interesting. Not real smoky in here. Uh, 
with the window open. <laughs> anyway, all right, so borrowing pipes. Uh, going back to uh, touching on Kamoy and Sheraton, thought I'd talk specifically about the grading on uh, borrowing pipes. We all know that the uh, that there's a pre-transition period for borrowing, and then there's the post-transition period, or the transition period. Anyway, uh, going back on the pre-trans pipes alone, we want to talk about, you know, we know how to identify them, we know what the stampings are, we know what the markings are for those pipes. In the grading of the pipes, the pre-trans barlings came in uh, five or six different grades. All right, so here's what they are. Uh, standard or barlings make, it would just say uh, uh, barlings make on one side of the shank or barlings make right underneath it or barlings make in the shape and the uh, and the shop name on, on it. It'll just say barlings make. Then the next step up was ye old wood. So it would say barlings make and ye old wood. And that would, uh, yeah, that would be, it may have a little darker or more of a plum stain to it. Uh, the next one up was Yieldwood Special. And these were pipes with a nicer grain pattern, uh, you know, maybe a mixture of good grain and, and bird's eye, but they were generally just a, uh, just a little bit more interesting grain pattern than the Yieldwood, and they were left a little bit lighter. Uh, the next step up from that, we're talking about guinea grain. Uh, and guinea grain is described by Tad Gage on uh, Pipepedia.org as something between a flame grain and a straight grain, often featuring tight, fine graining. Uh, these pipes have a script Barlings logo and EB stamped on the shank as a tribute to Edwin Barling and block stamped guinea grain registered to reflect the patent on the name. Uh, sometimes they had a size designation too. They were not stamped TVF, however. Uh, they were stained with a special walnut-colored stain, and uh, you know, just that that walnut was designed so that it would bring out the best in the grain. Uh, the next step up from that is a rare one, and it's called Bird's Eye uh, pipes with particularly nice bird's eye on it. One of the rarest barling stamps ever seen by tad gage and finally the highest of them all was straight grain uh straight grain was very rare and the it was later in the 1930s when they finally introduced this uh but all the pipes were stamped barlings make and then uh had straight grain marked on them somewhere uh you'll also see a quality grade of TVF which stood for the very finest on them. Now when we go into the post transition uh, that's when you start getting into the four digit shape codes and they start changing the way the barling is stamped. Uh, there's four primary grain uh, four primary grades. There's barling standard, sandblast, garnet grain, and guinea grain and then uh, there was also a special grade that was produced in limited yeah, just limited quantities occasionally it would come out but again that was when yeah that was when the brand was uh instead of being marketed as a premium premier brand it was when it was brought down in step and made more uh, more popular priced 
anyway, that's kind of the uh, kind of the the rankings of barling. And remember, when you're looking at a pre-trans, you want you know you want to see the barlings make uh, the barling make stamp on there. You want to see the TVF stamp. Uh, you want to see a three-digit shape code. And when you're looking at a uh, uh, at a post-transition piece or a transition piece, you know what? You just want to find a good-looking pipe. Either way, they're all going to smoke well. Uh, do make sure that if you, when you're looking for one uh, for an estate barling, that you're looking for one with the original stem, and that'll have the stamped in there barling in the cross shape on it. All right, in just a minute, the one and only Tawny Nielsen will be on the phone with me. This is Internet Radio. Signore, signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on SutliffMoltoDolce.com. Do you mind if I try? Oh, signore, this truly is Molto Dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. <laughs> just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. It is like they are all having a giant playful pillow fight on smooth and silky sheets of tobacco in my mouth. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And signore, best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Hey! Sutliff Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Balto Dolce blend in public. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. And as I said, I'm excited to have Tawny Nielsen on the show because Tawny's one of the... Um, uh, Tawny, I guess you're... You're now old enough to be a living legend, so congratulations. Uh, but please welcome pipe maker Tawny Nielsen to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Hello, everybody. All right, so just so that everybody knows, where did you grow up? I grew up in Copenhagen. Uh, I was born in 1953. I grew up in Copenhagen. And sort of not in the something called Northbridge, which is uh, sort of the outskirts in a way, but still uh, in the town. And um, when you were growing up, what was your first? Uh, what was your first love or your first goal? As far as uh, career and yeah. work-wise, you talk. Yeah. Well, uh, you would call it a. a, a you know, blue-collar neighborhood, uh, kind of on the rough side. Uh, so, but everybody I knew were going up uh, was doing something with their hands. So that was my first goal, to, you know, uh, maybe paint a, a mechanic, uh, you know, uh, tool. And uh, as a matter of fact, I started uh, to become a... Um, Apprentice at a machine shop uh, 
for eight months, right before I started working for Larson. And so did, did tennis playing come first, or did pipe making come first? Oh, tennis playing, it was really late. <laughs> I was 28 years old when I started playing tennis. No, uh, growing up it was uh, uh, soccer, I mean, Amer uh, European football and table tennis. I played at a really high level growing up. Tennis, uh, I didn't play tennis in Denmark, actually. And, uh, I moved to America. But you're also a, uh, at one point you were, when you're a very good tennis player from what I've heard. Yeah, I'm still a very good tennis player, <laughs> uh, but I was teaching tennis for, for 10 years. I've heard stories of you on the tennis court and that some people didn't like playing with you because you were too good. That doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was the time. So how old were you when you started well, working? I had the same uh, passion for that as I did with pipes, starting uh, when I had a chance to learn to make pipes. You have to really be serious. How old were you when you started at Larson? I was uh, 16 years old. And, and what was your first job there? the floor. <laughs> now, was this in the store or was it in the pipe making? This was in the sort of workshop. It was a small factory, uh, you know, uh, because of the fact that there was maybe, uh, for the most part, there was uh, between 10 and 15 employees. So it was it was not really a factory, but it was uh, sort of a, a, a middle, you know, between being very efficient and production, mass production. But it wasn't. It was still, you know, uh, yeah, Larson's name was created on quality. That's, you know, so, so it was not that. Uh, mass production situation, but it was borderline to the new technology and stuff like that. So, so is it is it uh, fair to say that the Larson pipes that might have been a, a traditional shaped pipe were better quality than what came out of most other factories? Absolutely. My opinion. Of course, there might be different opinions, but the Larson, yeah, very much so. So the first thing they taught you, uh, the the first thing they taught you to do was to sweep the floors, and then was there an Absolutely. apprentice yeah, process? I, mean, I was a young boy, you know, just a work work boy, really. I, I just quit on that uh, chance to become a toolmaker, and so it's basically I didn't even know what I was going into <laughs> at the time. And then I learned each operation, you know, one one step at a time. All the, the the filing and sanding and uh, using uh, the different machinery and you know so it's just it took a couple of years and then you know uh, we had some really uh, it was a combination of the the factory made pipes and then the the handmade pipes you know, and then Teddy come along and uh, was uh, in 
in charge of the, the handmade department. And uh, so we became good friends. And the, the Teddy that you're talking about is Teddy Newton. I got more and more interested in, in uh, learning to, to make those pies also, and I actually ended up helping Teddy with quite a few things. At first it was unofficial because it was more like when former went for a meeting and stuff, and I snuck down there. <laughs> Finished my work though, whether I was assigned, and then I went down to help. <laughs> Later on, it became official, you know, so as soon as I could finish my work, then I could go and help. And then later, it got even more official, that I actually were part of, you know, step by step, Brian. What, uh, so did Teddy and, and Former both, did they kind of take you through each little step of a handmade pipe? Former obviously laid the the base. I mean, the first two years of that I was describing of learning all the the, the ins and outs of the operations of for the factory made pipes. I mean, that was basically Former that stood uh, did all that. So he sort of laid the base for, and he was also the being a toolmaker himself. He was also very technically. Uh, uh, inclined, or, I, mean, or, I mean, very knowledgeable. Still is. And so, and then Teddy came along with, uh, you know, uh, and former also. When I mean, he had time, I remember, uh, you know, when he had time, he made some projects and some uh, handmade pipes. But for the most part, he was, uh, you know, hooked up with uh, the rest of the operation. So didn't have much time. During your time at Larson, were there other pipe makers that we might know their names that came through there? Yeah, uh, there was Peter Higo and uh, Peter Higo and uh, Paul Euster was there. Uh, there's a, a lot that uh, you wouldn't probably know. Uh, those are really the basic ones. Uh, what's his name? Vegan was there. Wow. So that was kind of like that was like the New York Yankees of pipe making teams. Uh, yeah, it really was at, at one point. And you know, the, and then before I even got there, you know, the there was other people. Swing Clusen was. Uh, heavily involved uh, in the very beginning, you know, Paul Hanson, and some of that story would, you would get probably a little more uh, talking to former uh, before I got there. I'm not extremely uh, aware of everything before. Were all the, uh, so all the, all the handmaids or the, or were all made 100% by hand. Uh, was there a rule or a style that you had to stick to when when making a Larson handmade? Sure, it's, it had to be Larson design. Yeah, I mean that that is uh, that, that is interesting that uh, that you 
can see from, if you look closely at the pipe makers that are existing today that was very involved with Larsen, that then you can see the, the, you can recognize those lines. I mean, uh, we talk about uh, me, former, and Teddy, and Benny, uh, Jurgen. Uh, because Benny ended up, you know, when I moved to America, Benny ended up uh, uh, making a lot of pipes for Larsen. But you can, so yeah, it was it was definitely Larsen design. That, uh, you know, beautiful long lines, complete lines. You know, almost like a. Not almost, but like like a beautiful woman line, you know. And uh, speaking of beautiful women, what made you move to America? Uh, my beautiful wife, <laughs> Barbara. Uh, yeah, I was so lucky that she decided to come to Copenhagen and study, uh, I guess, Scandinavian history or something. <laughs> Not sure what she was studying, but she found you. Yeah, I found her, actually. <laughs> uh, how was it for you to adjust to coming to the U.S.? And Was it very different? Well, you've been to Denmark, right? And other yeah. places around the world. You know, when uh, a lot of these places are similar, you know, America, Denmark, you know, uh, Germany. Uh, but still, yes, there was a big change, yeah. Uh, but it, uh, it takes years to, well, when you make a decision like that, you know, uh, to actually be very comfortable. And, uh, you know, you start, you know, miss, you know, just like if an American moves to another country, they probably miss uh, hamburgers and apple pie and <laughs> silly things, actually. <laughs> but, you know. So you moved, you moved from Copenhagen it, it, to... It takes a but, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy in America, but I'm also happy that I can spend my summers in Denmark so that I can both places. And you moved from Copenhagen to Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, in 1982. Wow. Did you continue making pipes when you got here? Yes, I did. Very much so. It turned out to be a, t a tricky situation, and looking back at it, I made the wrong decision. But uh, and, and the decision was to stay with Larsen, because uh, despite all the different troubles I've had with uh, them over the years, they were always good at uh, paying. You know, when I started uh, my own business and and was. Um, Selling pipes in Germany, I had the uh, Kuhlhase in, in, in Hamburg, but he was kind of slow sometimes. Uh, I always got my money, but uh, he was slow. And when you have bills to pay and two, uh, I guess at the time I had one one child, my son. You 
know, then uh, you can't pay if they don't pay. But Larson was always good. Turned out to make it short, though, that that decision was, uh, as I see it now, wrong because the distance. That's really something to be said about the, what is it, what do you call it, out of sight, out of mind? Yeah. And so the the whole, whole thing, and so Larson would... Uh, Usually, actually, call me on the phone and say, "Oh, we need uh, uh, a certain amount of pipes." But he would also do that to the pipe makers that they had already in Denmark. <laughs> right. So by the time I finish my pipes, off, they've already gotten them. Uh, so they were really pressing on the the prices. And so, so that became more and more difficult. And then I started playing a lot of tennis and got really good and, uh, and uh, take a, started educating myself to be able to teach. And I actually taught tennis for, for 10 years. I was making pipes at the same time, but not very many those years. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk more about pipes, and then we'll uh, talk about a favorite memory of mine. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. What are you looking for in a pipe? Is it the quality of aged briar? Is it a certain shape or finish? Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, the 2015 collection, and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, the Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well the exotic cashmere, the sultry licoricea, and the striking archipelago red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with Tawny Nielsen and uh, Tony, what is it when now when you sit down and look at a block of briar, do you look at the look for the shape that's inside the pipe, or do you know what kind of what you kind of want to do? Uh, that's a good question, Brian. Uh, it's not easy to explain. I think uh, the best short answer would be a combination of different things. Uh, the one of the the keys is to learn to read the briar, and uh, then obviously you may you know have uh, a shape that you would like to to. I mean, you can you can you can sort of, sort of make uh, pipes different ways. I mean, you can have a. a uh, a, a set idea, a classical shape, for example. So you're just basically going to turn this piece of briar and make it fit. Usually that's not how I do it. I make the, the briar dictate to me what what shape to make. And so it's a question for me to fully take advantage of the beauty in the, in the briar and... Um, 
so that's why you see that I don't, don't usually make uh, the same shape over and over again. Is there a part of the pipe making process that you enjoy more than another part? Absolutely. I, I like shaving them and, and the first steps, sort of, until you get to the work with the stems and stuff like that. Uh, I enjoy that much more than the rest of it. And then, of course, when you polish them and finish them, there's a lot, a lot of sort of dirty work in between. Sanding and sanding, a lot of sanding. Not a lot of fun when you're sitting there just sanding and sanding. No, I mean it's fun. If you know, it's definitely not fun. I mean it's very important. So, so it's uh, it's. Uh, it's where the skills are, but uh, I think you can talk to most pipe makers. You all say the same thing. Yeah. That the stem stem work is uh, the same thing, though. It's extremely important, but it's not that much fun. And since you've been in the business for just a few years, uh, is there a pipe? Is there a shape that you don't like making? Not really. Not really. I mean, the, you know, uh, when it comes to the classical shapes, I don't really make that many of them. I have made more of them lately, but there, there is not a shape that I don't like. I think there's something nice about it. I mean, I, I, at least I can't think of a shape that I wouldn't like. Was there... I mean... Was there a shape of pipe that was harder for you to learn how to make back when you were starting? Uh, there was uh, the bulldogs, yeah. The bulldogs with the diamond shanks and stuff like that. With the, uh, they, 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 they were up there for, for difficulties. Because uh, that's another example of where if you, if you don't do it perfectly is actually ugly. <laughs> you know, uh, stuff like that has to be done just absolutely perfect. Yeah. yeah. So it's a difficult uh, shape, especially the ones you know that we with the nice curved line, the the bent ones. Uh, the last one was on in that catalog. Now talking about bulldogs, I've been meaning to make bulldogs for a while. I just haven't gotten around to it. It is one of my favorite shapes. Uh, how many pipes a year do you make on average? I think it's uh, maybe 120 or something. And are you still also teaching tennis? No, no I'm oh. not. Not anymore. I quit that maybe six years ago now, five, six, six years ago. I was going to say, I, uh, yeah. A uh, hundred and something pipes and then teaching tennis too, you wouldn't have any time to do anything. No. And uh, it turns out, you know, that, uh, that when I, the process of, of sort of cutting down on it, the club that I belong to, uh, you know, when I was working, you know, I sort of gradually I told them that I was able to come in if the 
uh, show somebody to substitute for, for somebody, you know. And so it just turned out that uh, a lot of times they were cold. It would be very, uh, what would you say, not the right time. For example, getting ready for a pipe show and stuff like that. I really didn't have the time. Now, let's go. I miss it a little bit. Uh, let's go back to one of my favorite moments, and that was when uh, we we were at the Chicago Pipe Show, and I had a Larson Pearl grade, which is the highest grade of the handmaids, and we were trying to figure out who made it, so I showed the pipe to you, and then you took the pipe and showed it to Teddy and Former, and the three of you were discussing who might have made that pipe and when it might have been made. Uh, how can you tell who made which pipe? Yeah, how can you tell? That is another good question. You're full of good questions. <laughs> um, there is a lot to do with the shape and the, 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 how well it was performed and, and, and created. The lines, the stem, uh, how... Um, the, the fittings and stuff like that. Um, uh, some of it has to do with the shape, you know. Um, and it's not easy. But I mean, I, it turns out that I'm probably one of the most experts, uh, not because I was the best or anything, but because I was the one that was there the longest. I mean, even as the former uh, was not there, and Teddy was not really there that many years. When you think back, I say probably three, four years, three years maybe. And um, so, and the reason is that, that I have a uh, an insight on other pipe makers that might have been there afterwards. Okay. Where, uh, so for the three of us together, that means that we, that we can basically tell. <laughs> I don't remember the particular pipe that you're talking about. Did, did we make an agreement or anything? As you remember. Yeah, we. Who, who had made it? Yeah, you all thought that I mean, you uh, that you made it. Okay. I mean, uh, and, and obviously one of them was that when former made uh, the handmade, it was very uh, much on the classical side, you know, where Teddy already then, I mean, uh, would, and he basically was the most skillful at the time, and if I, if I had made the pipe uh, from the same period, you know, the, the, there would be a difference, and, uh, and also, you know, there was a tendency to uh, make little differences. You know, the, the bit on the, on the stem, for example, you know, I was a little stubborn and uh, kind of uh, made, but at the time, they were all, like, former makes his bit today, it's all rounded. That's how the last one was. And I was, uh, uh, put a little uh, edge on it, but rounded it also. So, yeah, so there's a lot of little details there, that, uh, but you do have to have the pipe in hand, basically, to totally. People send me pictures 
glass and pipes and wonder who made it, and uh, that can be difficult on the picture sometimes. When you have pipes in front of you that you've made, and you see Former and Teddy, are you still uh, are you still a little nervous that they might critique your work? about that anymore, no. I, I, I guess I was a little nervous about that. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not really. Uh, I know Fulmer for a long time, and he usually is not really... The, the, the best critique you can get is if he doesn't mention anything. <laughs> Uh, and, I, and I'm sure you've no, had a... I'm not, seriously, honestly, I'm not nervous about that at all. I, yeah, of course I was. They were, uh, you know, I mean, they were, they were the ones that taught me, basically. <laughs> so that's always uh, certain. I, I know you get a lot of uh, young pipe makers coming up to you and asking for your opinion. Uh, is there one one big thing of advice that you can give to the new pipe makers? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, one, obviously, but uh, it's, it's, uh, the, this is the, the tone that rings all the time, is to work hard on, on try to create your own style. You know, I mean, the... But that's what everybody's saying. But that's what I've been saying for years when people come and talk to me about these things. Yeah, and you've been around a lot longer than they have, so you must be right. No, I'm actually. T- I actually mentioned this because there's some some kind of uh, uh, misunderstanding on it, uh, and I think. Um, I, I do understand it from from new pipe makers. It's uh, it's maybe easier to to try to copy another shape, and there's nothing really wrong with that in the beginning. I mean, that is really how you take it step by step. You conquer uh, each each step, uh, each shape, whether uh, in the order that you fascinate it, right? But um, after that, you know, it's, you're most certain that that shape might fill if it's like uh, something that, uh, you know. So so that's uh, a thing that I think new pipe makers would have to look at and, and try to conquer because the fact, I think, is the sooner that they can transmit into their own the most successful they're going to be in the long run. There's a, there's a lot of good talents out there today. And, you know, I mean, it's a lot easier than it used to be. You can go on a surfing trip, you know, on the computer and uh, get uh, pictures of all the shapes that you've designed. So. But even though you can see them on the computer, you still believe that you need to hold the pipe and and see it and touch it to truly understand it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think everybody would agree with that. I mean, looking at a beautiful picture of a pipe is still different from if you have it in your hand. That's why pipe shows, you know, are hard to beat. You know, 
you get out there and expose yourself and you get to meet the, all the wonderful um, people who are the same interest as you. And if you... If you <laughs> and if you come to the Chicago Pipe Show, you get to meet Tawny Nielsen, who's only been making pipes for, you know, uh, I don't know, 50 years. <laughs> well, I think it's 47. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we won't count anymore, will we? <laughs> no, I think uh, I think that I, I, I saw a program on, uh, uh, from a tribe in the Amazons. You know, they had a really uh, cool language. There was like a one, two, and many. That was what, that was what they had. <laughs> Tony, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer. Just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Mm-hmm, I think so. What is your favorite pipe? Just whatever you want to answer, because you've only been making pipes for forty-seven years. So there's Calabash. Calabash. Uh, what is your favorite tobacco? Yellow Tristan. And for a Dane, this might be tough, but what is your favorite drink? Ooh, <laughs> beer. <laughs> yeah, there we go. The true Viking. Uh, when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Uh, music, definitely. And the, the final question, do you have a particularly favorite pipe smoking related memory? still have that pipe that you got from him? No, I don't. I don't have that pipe. And I guess the uh, the final question is, is uh, where can we go to buy your pipes? You can go to <laughs> many smoking pipes at Pasha and uh, basically all the, the biggest dealers around the world. Bisco, because um, you like Tom. Uh, Danish pipe shop. Uh, and you like like Tom Eltang, you don't sell direct off of your own website. You have dealers that do that for you. Yes, but people can contact me if they have a special shape uh, that they would like. And, um, and contact me on my, my email address. If they have spe uh, specific wishes for me trying to maybe 
not copy, but do a pipe that, uh, that they've seen them. That, that would be fine. That it's, uh, I don't have a, a website uh, that you can go on other than. The email address to get a hold of Tani is the Nielsen's and the number four, it's at hotmail.com and Nielsen is spelled the Danish way with an E and with an E-N at the end of it. Tani, thank you very much for taking the time to join us and I'll uh, see you in Chicago and a, well, coming up quick. Yes, it's right around the corner, Brian. I, I'm yeah. looking forward to see you up there. In that case, get off the phone with me and start making more pipes. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to. Okay, Brian, thank you. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. I wish I had a genie who could make it easy to order pipes and tobaccos online. You don't need a genie, sir. Visit fournoggins.com. They stock all your favorite pipes and tobaccos, and every order gets fast personal attention. Orders are packed carefully and shipped quickly by priority mail. Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com. I can still see you, you know. A bit rusty, sir. Fournoggins.com. This is Internet Radio. We are back, and you know, one of the things I love about this hobby or industry is uh, how many humble and uh, quiet giants there are in this business. Tony Nielsen is one of the nicest, most humble people you'd ever meet, and he's a literally a living legend in our uh, in our world. All right, so for uh, tonight for music. Um, no pipe smoking relationship to this, except that uh, a, a listener recommended this uh, CD set to me. It's uh, Dave Brubeck, and it's Dave Diggs Disney, and I just love this version of When You Wish Upon a Star.
Originally recorded in the 1950s, it's the Dave Brubeck Trio, Dave Diggs Disney. In 2011, they did a remastered uh, stereo legacy edition of it with a couple other tracks on it. If you like Dave Brubeck and you like Disney, it's a, or either one, a perfect album for you. You've got mail. In the mailbag, let's start off with a letter from Andrew. And Andrew, I'm sorry, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce your last name. Uh, I would butcher it anyway. But uh, you can uh, you you can tell it to me in person when I see you in Chicago. Uh, anyway, Andrew writes, Brian, I've been meaning to write for some time and have finally managed to get pen to paper, so to speak. 
I've been listening since way back. I think I started around episode 27 and have not missed one since. I absolutely love the podcast and really appreciate the work you and Kevin do to make sure it goes out every week. I'm an Australian that now lives in northern BC, Canada. Let's not talk about tobacco price. No, but it's a good thing you left Australia. Um, But have lived in London and Iceland since starting listening to the podcast. And for me, it really is like a pipe club that can travel with me. It definitely brings the hobby and the pipe smoking community to me wherever I am and really brings a deeper enjoyment to the hobby. Also, I am a huge Disney fan, too. My young family and I get to at least one Disney resort each year, and I, too, hang out on WDW forums and listen to the podcast. It is an incredible thing that your podcast caters to two of my favorite hobbies, too. And I've even snapped up a few of those uh, Walt Disney World pipes on eBay. Sorry for driving the prices up. Uh, By stroke of good fortune, my business travels will allow me to attend the Chicago Pipe Show this year, and it'll be the first ever show and even pipe club type gathering that I will attend. I'm really looking forward to it. It would be great to meet you and any of your listeners who happen to see an Australian guy wandering on the show floor mouth agape and looking for someone to talk to. (laughs) Keep up the good work, and again, I must say it is appreciated. Cheers, mate, Andrew. Andrew, thank you very much. Uh, letters like that keep it going. Uh, yeah, that's what it, that's what the show is all about. Um, hope you enjoyed the uh, the Dave Brubeck there. A um, little mixture of jazz and Disney. Yeah, uh, for Pipes Magazine, there is usually a meetup at a table at, in the smoking tent. So just look for a posting of that. And, uh, hey, just walk up to any pipe smoker. We'll all be part of one big club for that whole five-day weekend there. All right, going back to last week's show with uh, Matron in the uh, Kerveg Pipe Club. Uh, Loner Loner Redtree said, That was the best show to this date. The interview with Sergeant Matron had me roaring with laughter. Good thing my wife was out for the night and I did not have to explain. (laughs) I'm ready to pack up and head to Scotland. I'll bring my own moss. (laughs) Okay. Um, ADZ Pipes wrote, uh, Great to hear Matron who sent me a heads up. He was on the the U.S. of A radio pipe show. And he said the P word. Uh Um, Matron is a sound bloke. Thoroughly decent chap. Him and I meet often at my local pipe club, the Nottingham Pipe Club in the UK. He has been down a few times, and also we catch up at the Pipe Smoking Championships in the UK, which was cancelled last year, but is on this year. But we can't smoke the backy. Don't ask me. Okay, I won't ask. Uh, Mad UK laws. But at least it's on in May. Uh, so hopefully Matron will be there with some of the Kirveg crew. Not the zombie ones, though. We shot all those in the head. <laughs> okay. And, uh, probably don't need to bring your own moss to Nottingham. Uh, the Kilted One writes, Good show, Brian. Did you see anyone with a, vi- with a vape pipe at your show? Not one vape pipe. Saw a lot of people sucking on rectangular boxes with tubes coming out of them. Or mouthpieces. Anyway. Um, I've seen one in the wild, and it was a strange calabash-looking thing. 
Uh, Sergeant Matron was very interesting, and it was good to hear from someone relatively local. I've heard of the Caravag Pipe Club before and read the newsletter, but I like my creature comforts like running water in a comfy seat. Too much to participate myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and John Seiler writes, Hi, Brian. Nice summary on pipe grading, but there's still a lot of inconsistencies to be found. Yes, you're right. Uh, never made it to Scotland. Farthest north in the UK was Liverpool. Sergeant Matron sounded very interesting. His buddies pushed him into pipe smoking. Pipe clubs can be fun, yes. Probably the most unique pipe club on earth. Music, Bach by Segovia, nice. Rave, it's always nice to find quality clothing at a reasonable price. Great customer service is a plus. Good show. And lastly, uh, oh, there's Andy again. So we don't need to read that. But I will say, um, yeah, the Caravag Pipe Club, one of the most unique pipe clubs on the earth. Uh, now, in the mailbag, I also want to touch on the fine folks, John David Cole and Bo York of the Country Squire Radio. And about a week and a half or so ago, uh, we uh, they had on their show a discussion about how they are also first going to the Chicago Pipe Show. And this was mentioned, so I'll have you listen to this part of their show. Uh, this would be such a great one to go to because Chicago really is like the largest pipe show that's out there. That's right. And uh, and so this will be an amazing experience. It'll be our first time. We hope to get a chance to meet uh, many of you during the pipe show and, and maybe even before and after. We'll have some kind of meetup for sure. We'll get as we get closer. We'll definitely uh, lock in the details there. But uh, yeah, we yeah. Will, we will be at the Chicago we're Pipe Show. So excited, man! It's going to be a really fun opportunity. We'll release more details as 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 we get nearer. But uh, you know, it's the granddaddy of them all. Kind of yeah. like they talk about the Rose Bowl. You know, it's the it's the it's the it's the big one. I it's mean, the it, Rose Bowl of the, bowl of the pipe. It's world. the Rose Rose Bowl of the pipe world. Yeah, it just is. So. Um, man, we've uh, you know never been, and I think it'll be a really eye-opening experience for both of us. I'm, but I'm, I'm imagining like parade floats, like covered in pipes, like the Rose Bowl. Yeah, and actually, if you've ever seen that Nording pipe made of Nording pipes, yeah, which is incredible, which I believe is actually yeah. there, right? Don't they typically I, they, bring it to I, Chicago? I, I imagine it will be. Yeah, if it would be anywhere, I think it would be. There. I want to get. But, I cannot wait to get my picture yeah. with it. I, I want to get my picture with that, and I want to, you know, if we're going to carry on the parade theme, I'd just love to see Brian Levine covered in roses. Oh, yes, sir. Could, could we make that happen? we got to make that Maybe happen. Maybe like a wreath around him with like, <laughs> you know, like a... We could break into know. his room while he's asleep and just... <laughs> <laughs> this could get ugly really quick. <laughs> Be careful with that. In response to that, um, let me say a couple of things. One, they are right. It is the granddaddy of them all. If you can get to, get to the Chicago Pipe Show, this is the one of the year, man. It's the big one. Um, on a side note, and I know and love both John David and Bo. I've been on their show. They've been on, well, John David's been on my show. Um, let me just say that uh, sneaking into my room, which is in an undisclosed location anyway, uh, to uh, pelt me with uh, rose petals while I'm sleeping... Um, I've, you've seen pictures of me standing next to them. They're tall enough that they don't have to open up the door. They could just sneak right in underneath, you know, a little hobbit style, right underneath the door and come in there. Anyway, and I do want to remind you that, uh, you know, Chicago show, hey, um, I'm one of the doctor of pipes, so it's kind of my turf. And, uh, Bo, let me warn you, the last time the Yorks got into a battle with roses, didn't work out too well for them. Anyway, looking forward to seeing you guys there. More to come on this in the future episodes. And in the meantime, 
rant time is next. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line, and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes. I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. For this week's rant time, yes, I'm actually ranting and I'm taking on one of my favorites. I'm taking on the Walt Disney Company. Alright, so the new Star Wars, great movie. The new Zootopia movie that's out, absolutely wonderful movie. The Disneyland 60th anniversary television two-hour spectacular event, a total waste of time except for the few moments of watching Dick Van Dyke come out and dance. So if you didn't see it, first of all, you didn't miss a thing, but... Uh, if you didn't see it, it was essentially an hour and 40 minute commercial for all things ABC and Disney related. And people would come out and talk about their favorite memories of Disneyland. And then they did have a few little, uh, few little interesting flashbacks. But absolutely nothing really revolutionary or exciting except, of course, to see Dick Van Dyke dancing with the, uh, with the chimney sweeps again. Other than that, it was a total waste of time and a total waste of effort. And if you weren't aware of Disney owning Star Wars and ABC and Marvel at that point, boy, were you aware of it afterwards because it was a 100% hour and 45 minute infomercial for the entire company and a total waste of time when they could have done something actually brilliant to celebrate the 60 years you know like maybe uh the greatest moments of disneyland over the last 60 years anyway it was um (laughs) it was less than spectacular for a spectacle that it was supposed to be uh hey jdrf auctions are still coming up we are i'll be honest with you we're having a bit of a lackluster response for uh, as far as getting stuff donated so the first batch of things are about to head off to uh, head off to Steve Fallon, and probably look for them in about a week and a half on his eBay page. I will uh, definitely let you know. I'll post it on Facebook. We'll uh, talk about it on the radio show. Uh, in the meantime, if you do have anything that you would like to donate, uh, please email me Brian at pipesmagazine.com, and I'll handle that for you. 
Uh, got any comments or questions, post them on pipesmagazine.com. iTunes, leave us ratings or reviews. We'd appreciate that. I want to thank Tawny Nielsen for joining me. I want to thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Cares about the clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Mr. Cordjantan Pinks, Mr. Your Humble Servant. That won't be necessary. Oh, but it is. It is demanded by the gods, it is. <laughs> <laughs>